This is KDLL, 91.9 FM, Kenai, Soldatna, listener-supported public radio for the central Kenai Peninsula. You're tuned in to the Kenai Conversation. I'm Hunter Morrison. On this week's Kenai Conversation, we're joined by Bernadine Atchison, Kenaitse Indian Tribe Chairperson, and Charmaine Lundy, a member of the Salamatoff Tribal Council. We spoke of their respective tribes' history, values, and struggles. Okie dokie. So I guess I'll start with, um, with you, Charmaine. You know, tell me about your involvement with your tribe. I, I am on the Tribal Council. Um, and support and volunteer as needed. And the same question to you, um, you know, tell me about your involvement with your tribe, Bernadine. So I, I do sit as the chair and there's a lot of times there's, it just depends on what's going on. So as the council chair and actually most of our council members, we do a lot of testifying. So we might be testifying at the state level, local level, or at the um, federal government. Um, I also sit on different committees and and different um, boards. And one of the boards I sit on is the Kenai Mountain Turnigan Arm. And the main reason for that is to make sure we're, um, that they're incorporating cultural aspects to, to their plan for the National Heritage Area. That's just summing it up. I know there's a lot that we do, <laughs> but to say it all at once, I don't know. So thank you. And I guess um, you talked about some cultural aspects that, um, you know, you're incorporating. I guess just throw some examples at me of, you know, cultural um, impacts. Oh, well, like, um, well, we work in the community and with with that, uh, they, well, with KMTA in particular is they have a education program. So mostly they're working with the Anchorage school districts and they bring the kids down into that, like the Portage Glacier area, and they'll um, just teach them about the history, the you know, the gold rush, and just mining and other aspects. And we just want to make sure that they know that the history didn't start with the gold rush or with the Russians. That we've been here for the last two thousand years, and so just making sure that they incorporate who the Dinaina people are, and just um, you know more. A bigger story of who the people are that live here and before. And I'll throw this question to you first. Um, you know, what is your earliest memory involving your tribe? Uh, I guess my earliest memory is when my mom, um, well, there's different ones. One of them was that she made sure that we went to all the annual meetings so that we understood what was going on. Um, but besides that, a lot would be like, um, fishing and moose hunting and berry picking because we when we were younger that's pretty much what we relied on to make sure to make ends meet so uh, clam digging I don't want to forget it there's a lot yeah so and and same question to you Charmaine um tell me about your earliest memory involving your tribe um and in terms of ANCSA and the launching of the tribe I would say um talking with our mother about it and getting our paperwork in with the understanding that Salamantoff may or may not become a tribe. But, of course, 
you can't attain your goals unless you work towards those goals. So that was my first um, experience or memory in terms of recognized tribe, but we've always lived a tribal life. So adhering to those values and appreciating the use of the land and caring for each other as needed. And, you know, I guess tell me about um, some of your tribe's values. Respecting the land, caring for those, not necessarily in need, but just caring for others and helping them to meet their goals and needs. We deliver firewood to the elderly and the vets, Salamantoff plows folks, tribal members. In the summer, we do lawn care. It, it, it's just basically helping people meet their needs. And if they are not able, then, then you do it for them and with them, not to them. And Bernadine, same question to you. Tell me about um, some of your tribe's values. Um, well, I know our very core value is our Nakaltani, in which Nakaltani means um, it could be great spirit, creator, it might mean God, depending on what you think, yep. And then, but it means pure love and pure truth. And so that's the core, core value. And then a lot of our values are, are you know, are the same. It's to respect the animals, the plants, our elders, to know our ancestors, and, um, and to be good neighbors, you know, to help each other out when they need to be helped, to be, you know, to care and have concern for those that um, might need to, to, to know that you care about them. And, you know, if, if you can, tell me a bit about your tribe's history here on the Kenai Peninsula. <laughs> so uh, I know uh, with the Dena'ina, uh, my grandma was the first chief of the Kanaitse Indian tribe when they reorganized in the 60s. And right after statehood, uh, there was a big rush for land, and, and the tribal people didn't have a voice. It was like we were being overlooked of what, you know, that we lived here all these years. And, and so they reorganized as a tribe, as the Kanaitse Indian tribe, and in the early 60s. So that's there was a, a group of them that really pushed to have the tribe uh, recognized at the federal level. And so in 1971 is when we actually got, rec our constitution got recognized. And that was um, one of the main ways for us to be able to start uh, getting grants and just start working towards having, you know, our rights protected as a tribe. And Charmaine, same question to you, you know, Tell me about your tribe's history here on the Kenai Peninsula. I really don't have near the depth that Bernadine does. In 72, when, when the land claims happened, um, I was not yet 18. So I know that we fought for recognition, and at one point that recognition was denied, and then it was approved. Um, our leadership is a, is a very short list. My older sister, Penny Carty, was part of that, a good part of it for 30, 35 years. She and Jimmy Segura and now Chris Monfort are our leadership. 
and, and the history have own the history and the development of Salamandoff tribe. I see. And you know, as a member of your tribe, what does living on the Kenai Peninsula mean to you? I, I'm so glad you asked that. Up until I, when I moved back home, I took the Denina language class in the summer for two summers in a row. And something kind of magical happened that second summer, always before I was from Kenai. But something happened that second summer in that language class. I wasn't from Kenai anymore. I belonged to Kenai and the land. And that's a vast difference. And, you know, how would you say that's significant to you, that that difference? It's who you are. It didn't change my family makeup. It didn't change my employment. It didn't change my education. But that belonging, not owning the land, but belonging to the land. And, you know, Bernadine, same question. As a member of your tribe, what does living on the Kenai Peninsula mean to you? Well... I know Penny, she, you um, covered a lot of it, but it does mean, I think the biggest part is that being belonging and having um, like direction of, of what, where you want to head in life and what's my role in, in being here. So whether that's protecting the land, whether that's, um, educating our community about who the Dena'ina people are, um, whether that's te- making sure my grandkids know their language. It just, it just, um, just being interconnected with everything that's in our environment and understanding why are the fish here? Why are the moose here? Why do we have mountains? Just understanding um, how we're all interconnected with the earth and with each other. So. And, you know, piggybacking off of that last question, what would you say is the importance of this land to your heritage? Oh, it's, it's, all of it is important because if you think about it, the fish is what, you know, that's what sustained us, you know, for these last 2,000 years. That's why we migrated down from the interior into this, into this area is because of the fish. And at the time, it was mostly caribou but now we have moose here, but just um, there's such a wealth of resource here. Like I know our elders, you know, way back would consider this, this is a grocery store. This is our grocery store. Everything that we need is right here. You know, we don't even have to, to go anywhere else because we have everything we need. So. And Charmaine, same, same question for you. You know, what would you say is the importance of this land in regards to your heritage? They're quite simply inseparable. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, how long have you lived here on the Kenai Peninsula? Um, Since the spring of 1954. And, you know, what would you say is your favorite part about living here on the Kenai Peninsula? The continuity of our family's lives. Knowing where my grandparents came from, knowing what they built and what they did. Um... I'm living in the house that my father cut down the trees while he he and my mom were living in a wall tent in the winter of 53, 54. They cut down the trees, 
they built the house. I can't imagine not being here. And uh, Bernadine, same question to you. You know, how long have you lived here on the Kenai Peninsula? And what would you say is your favorite part about living here on the Kenai Peninsula? So I would say, well, most of my life. So when my my mom met my dad, he was in the military. And so they did do a lot of traveling. So I was able to see Africa. We lived there for like five years and some other areas. Um, but when he got out of the military, we... Um, in 69 is when we came back here but even during that time part of that time we lived in in this area because he was stationed out at Shimia and so my mom and us girls stayed here so um, I guess some of the, some of my favorite things about being here is that fishing <laughs> going fishing um, berry picking um, collecting plants for different medicinal or teas and and just um, being with family being able to teach my my grandkids um, and you know sharing sharing some of it with my my children mostly I'm my kids are doing their own thing but I work a lot with the grand my grandkids so just spending time with them but but also just being part of the tribe and and being able to have a voice and bring in our concerns our challenges or or what do we want to accomplish for future generations? So I feel like this is a good place, a good place to be. I would like to add um, the continuity of life. The fact that my grandparents were here, my parents raised myself and my siblings here, and my, my children, knowing that you can raise a family and children, they're safe, they'll be well taken care of, if, if you're not available, someone you know and love is there to take care of your children in emergency situations, that, that's the importance for me. Great. And, you know, I'll throw this question to you first, Charmaine. Um, tell me about, I guess, your spiritual connection, if you have one, to this land, to the Kenai Peninsula. For me personally, he or she, the spirit, is everywhere and in everything. It's in, it's in that flock of birds that flies up from the highway. It's in the rainbow. It's every, if you look, that spiritual connection is everywhere. But you have to look for it and recognize it when you see it. And same question to you, uh, Bernadine. I guess tell me about your spiritual connection to the Kenai Peninsula. So uh, for me, and this is what I teach my grandkids, um, it's that, you know, every breath you take is part of who you are and your spirituality. Um, all your thoughts and how you treat other people, you know, that help reflects it. But I do, like you, you bring up the birds, that's how I, I feel is that um, all the animals, all of that connects us. And even, you know, when you read a lot of our our some of our traditional stories, they talk about the plants and the animals and how they kind of help guide us. If we watch the animals, you can learn from the animals. You know, a lot of times uh, just giving you sometimes direction and stuff. So, but I just really feel that, um, I don't know. It's just, it's part of you. We're just interconnected with everything around us. There is no, um, you know, 
being spiritual isn't just once a week or a couple times a week. It's every single moment that you that you're alive. And you know, Charmaine, I see you agreeing with her. Would you say that um, you know other members of your tribe would a- agree with you know what uh, Bernadine just said? Well, that's not a topic that often comes up <laughs> in board meetings. Um, but I would suspect yes, yes. Uh, many of us recognize that when we go out fishing or when we go out hunting, we are not the predator. We are going out asking our spirits to communicate to a moose, perhaps. Do they want to give themselves to us for sustenance? And if they do, it's incumbent upon us to use all of that resource, not just the bits and pieces and leave the rest behind. And, you know, I know we're coming into the month of February now, but um, November was uh, National Native American Heritage Month. I guess I'll throw this question to you first, uh, Bernadine. What does this commemoration and, you know, other commemorations like it mean to to you? Um, I think it's really important because one of the things that the tribe's really been um, trying to share with the community is to help um, teach everybody about who the Denaina people are. And I think this just kind of opens the door about um, maybe recognizing some of the things that happened in the past and how can we move forward um, in a good way where, you know, people recognize who the Dena'ina people are and that, you know, we are a significant part of this community and have been for, you know, thousands of years. So how do we work together and realize that we that we can work together in partnership so i'm really happy that that it's happened i mean it's long overdue if you think about it you know this has never been done and and so it opens up doors to having um like working with our school districts um, because that was one of the areas that i really struggled with because i went to school here i graduated from kenai high but they never taught anything about who the Dena'ina was. I mean, we were basically invisible people, even though we lived here all this time. It was like we didn't exist. And so one of the main things, um, and we have already started that relationship with the school district, is that they teach, um, that they actually teach the real history of who the Dena'ina people are. Um, Because a lot of the history books don't cover any of that, you know. It might be from an outside point of view of what they think, but it doesn't, you know, they're not coming, they didn't come to us to find out what our story is. And so um, I do uh, really applaud the, um, some of the folks at the, the, in the school district where they actually came to the tribe and said, what do you want us to teach? What do you want us to share? And that's just been in the last three or four years that we've been able to open that door and then to work with them. Um, the college, um, the Kenai Peninsula College, and and just, you know, through that avenue and stuff. And, you know, growing up in, in school, in the school district here, how did, you know, not learning about your tribe's history sort of um, in school affect you, would you say? Well, I think um, it was a mostly I didn't recognize it so much until we had the boarding school out at um, Wildwood. Um, and that's when they brought in a lot of indigenous children from out, of st- out in the communities had come here. And I never realized how much prejudice there was 
until the kids were coming to school. And to me, that's when it was like, really, it was really shocking. Um, because you might not really see it that I look real indigenous, and you might not be able to tell, but with my mom, you can you can tell. She's an indigenous woman. She's a Dinaina. And, and when I saw that, it was like, um, it just made me think of one of my elders. The story she told me is that when she grew up, her and her mom would be walking down the street, and on the window it would say, no natives, no dogs. And so, you know, that's how indigenous people were regarded. So um, I do think that we've come a long ways. We still have a long ways to do, but I think that um, that proclamation that was made in November was a good way of, of recognizing some of the challenges and barriers that we've had, and here we are still today and we are a significant part of the community. And uh, Charmaine, same question to you, you know, um, what do commemorations like National Native American Heritage Month uh, mean to you? It gives us, as an organization and an individual, the opportunity to reflect on the past and further develop visions for the future, setting goals, achieving those goals, and then the joy and pride of attaining those goals individually and as a tribe. And so a uh, similar question to what I asked just a second ago. Also in November, the governor of Alaska, he uh, proclaimed that month as Alaska Native Heritage Month to, quote, encourage all Alaskans to celebrate our Native cultures this month and throughout the year with um, appropriate respect, educational programs, and activities. I guess um, I'll throw this question to you first, Charmaine. What would you say is the importance of this commemoration to your tribe? It, it reminds us that education doesn't take place only in a classroom. It's life in all aspects of your life. And um, personally, I think that addressing these and giving our children the best launch possible. Um, the Early Childhood Center, the Head Start, I have seen amazing things happen through that program, through the Head Start, and then there was an after-school program for kids kindergarten through third grade, and now it's, it's grown. Um, you don't just say, well, this program is three to five-year-olds, and you're five, goodbye. That's not tribal life. Tribal life is, hey, I knew you when you were three, and things were kind of tough, but now you're 17, and look at where you are now. You knew we, we gave you a foundation to know what you wanted for yourself and for your family and for your future, and we supported you in meeting those goals. You got this. Go on. And um, Bernadine, you know, what would you say uh, is the importance of the commemoration that I mentioned with the governor um, in regards to your tribe? Um, I, I agree that uh, it's a good way to open up doors. I think we learn a lot through our education system, just like when I talked about history, how it wasn't um, shared with anybody. <laughs> So to me, this actually opens the door. Well, let's, let's really learn about who the people who live, live in our community and, 
and what they've done to protect it and and you know what we see today is because of how we steward the land and made sure you know we respected it and so i i think it's just a it opens up the door to learn more about you know other cultures and and other peoples who live you know in our community and how rich their cultures are and what they could offer to you know to those who live here so and I guess in what other ways would you say maybe state or federal governments have sort of worked in recent years to try to, I guess, worked for your tribe, for lack of better words? Well, I know, um, like the Violence Against Women, that um, we received grant funding on that. But that one is um, a really important one because, as you probably know, is that Alaska has the highest rate of murdered and um and of murdered indigenous women and and being abused you know being abused so in all of the nation so you know we're nationwide they know that we're at the top of the list murdered and missing women that's what i was trying to say but um so i think that this just really helps to um kind of bring more focus on what's going on in our communities and what we can do to to improve them i know the federal government has helped us with like um, DOT bringing funding in for transportation and that's something we're working with the Kenai and the Nilchik and Sterling is having a, a bus route that helps the whole community and so um, a transit bus so I think uh, I think in a lot of ways they want to help but sometimes their their hands are tied I mean like even the OCS um, the compact that we're doing right now with the state of Alaska to help um, keep our children with us because for a while there, most of our children were going to non-Indigenous families. And so we um, got this compact going. And some of the problems that we realized just recently is that it's based on federal regulations and they're really old regulations that need to be revised. So um, just trying to open up that door, what do we need to change to make you know, so that we are treating everybody um, in a good way and making sure our children are, are placed in families that are, you know, where they, they should be and not um, put in places that breaks the family up and stuff. So I think there's a, a lot of good that's happening. There's still a lot that needs to be done. But whenever I look at what the work we're doing, I feel like we're doing really good and we have good relationships with the federal government and we're still trying to develop a real good relationship with the state of Alaska. They're, they're probably our biggest barrier. <laughs> but um, depending on who you're working with and what, the, what it's about, um, we get a lot of support and, and we try to partner with, um, with communities so that um, it's not just about us, but it's about our community and you know, just being supportive that we kind of engage or we're there for everybody, even though we're, our job is to protect our tribal members and help them, but we still want to be supportive of our community and how can we help them. So. I see. And you mentioned um, a, a few minutes ago a, a, a bus system. Um, mm -hmm. Can I see bus system? Could you uh, tell me a little bit more about that? Um, so we have been trying to figure out a good way to get transportation um, for like our elders, um, 
for those that might be recently coming, um, transitioning from maybe being in prison or something and they don't have a job and, and so how do we find a way to get them, you know, working and back being part of the community. Um, but mostly, like right now, we have individual drivers who are driving everywhere to people to doctor's appointment, to the grocery store, and just trying to, um, we realize that's a barrier and being able to help um, get people to where they need to be. And so this is just a pilot project. Um, and the main route is going to be like between um, Nikiski to Kenai to Sterling, you know, and Sadatna. But um, I think that there should be getting close to um, actually being implementing it. So I think we have most of it, most of it ready, just waiting on a few things. Um, Charmaine, I'll throw this question to you. Um, how would you say that uh, state or federal governments have sort of, um, you know, worked for your tribe? That that's a, a two-pronged answer. As Bernadine said, this is a unique environment and sometimes the stated regulations don't help but often um, the people making the decisions will work with us we have a, a strong relationship with the federal government and we're developing a, particularly uh, fisheries forestry and agriculture we're, we're developing some projects in those areas um, supporting our, our goals and, and giving us guidance and um, the one thing I would wish is sometimes the regulations support positive immediate outcomes but then the long-term outcomes are, are lost and they're the potential for um, diminished benefits in terms of your goals gets tied up there. And I guess tell me, uh, you touched on it just now, but tell me about some uh, struggles uh, regarding the state and federal government um, in regards to your tribe. I, I can't. I understand. We, 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 we want to do what we want to do. And same question to you if you, if you feel like answering. Um, uh, Bernadine, uh, tell me about some of the struggles in regards to your tribe with state and federal governments. Well, I know, um, just to be honest, <laughs> one of the struggles with the state is that sometimes they don't want to recognize tribes. But being with us being recognized by the federal government, we are an equal sovereign to them. So we're not below them, we're equal to them. And I think that's the hardest, one of the challenges, because sometimes, you know, that becomes an issue and we're, we just try to work our way through that. Um, with the federal government, um, I would say mostly, um, most of our programs are run by grants. And so it, because we're an equal sovereign, we should have like a budget that no matter what, just like with the state of Alaska, the tribe should have an equal Eco budget that it's a mandated budget so so that no matter what you know you have funding throughout the year to do all your government activities but right now most of ours is done through grant programs which are three-year cycles some are five and then when they're gone it's like okay we got to find something that's going to replace it 
are, you know, or maybe we get refunded for it. So I, I would say those are probably the biggest, biggest items. And then unfunded mandates. That, that can be just hamstringing. If you're just tuning in to the Kenai Conversation, we're joined by Bernadine Atchison, Kenaitse Indian Tribe Chairperson, and Charmaine Lundy, a member of the Salamatoff Tribal Council. We're speaking of their respective tribes' struggles with state and local governments. I'll, I'll throw this question to you first, Charmaine. I guess, how do these struggles make you feel? It, it's, it hardens my resolve. It's like, this is my goal, here's a hurdle. We can get over this hurdle and meet our goals. It's just going to take longer. It's going to take more conversations, better ideas than I might have. But it's, it's a hurdle. And we can get past this and meet our goals and, and improve that which is in need. And Bernadine, same question. Um, how do the struggles that you mentioned sort of, how do they make you feel? Well, um, I really don't focus on that because usually, you know, being on council or on a board, your main job is to to focus on, okay, this is a roadblock. How do we either, do we need to make partnerships? Who do we reach out to? How, you know, who do we need to talk to so we can get past this? And so I feel like, um, I guess it's a challenge. Um, how do we address it? Is it locally? Is it with our, you know, senators and and so I, th I feel like the tribe's been real, real successful at identifying what we need to do um, when we have challenges like that presented to us. I see. And aside from, you know, issues with government, challenges with government, I guess, tell me about some other struggles or, or, or um, issues you would say that your tribe might face. Oh, for us, um, and I know this is nationwide, it's just um, being fully employed. I know since COVID, um, everybody's kind of stepped. I think that's just created some challenges because more folks are wanting to stay at home, um, or that's what I'm thinking. That might not be true, but, but people are just being more selective about where they want to work and what they want to do. And so it, it's just, um, I just, I think that's our biggest challenge is being, um, having full, being fully staffed because we have lots of, programming we've got you know we're we've got the grant monies coming in but now it's trying to get the people in there who want to um, do those jobs so I see and in what ways is your tribe uh, working to mitigate these struggles uh, we're just looking at so what what is what's going to be inviting you know do you um, we do have a good health plan so I know we're good there but is it salary is it you know like, do we work 10 hours a day, you know, four tens? Do we be flexible in that? Um, just trying to uh, really reach out to um, some of the folks that are recruiting for us because we, we have actually tried to um, hire recruiters who go out and, and bring people, people on. And then we've talked about going and actually um, getting into the schools. How do we start talking to our kids that are in high school and and seeing what direction they are going and maybe how can we be incentivized, you know, give them incentives. Hey, we'll cover your college if you guys will come back and work for us for a couple, you know, whatever that is. So just trying to look at who, how do we start reaching out in, in a good way to, you know, 
encourage people to bring them on board. I see. And Charmaine, a uh, similar question that I asked a few minutes ago. Uh, tell me about some other struggles that your tribe might face aside from government. I think that the tribal leadership truly feels and understands the challenges and struggles of the individual tribal members. They don't work eight to five and then leave those problems at the office when they close the door. They take those problems and struggles home with them and thereby are, are motivated to do as much as they possibly can to support the individuals in meeting their basic needs and goals. I see. And I guess switching gears here a bit, tell me, and we, we've sort of touched on it a little bit, but uh, tell me about your tribal organization's impact here in the community. Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> um, so Salamanoff Association and Salamanoff Tribe have different um, chores and different designations and different pockets of funds, but they're the same people with the same goals. Uh, here we have, uh, we support an NYO team. Um, we have every summer the Johnny Monfort Golf Classic, and 100% of those funds go to the local schools and Boys and Girls Club. Uh, we have youth employment and education services where we start our young folks out working. But as part of that, we also um, hope to help them make better life choices in terms of substance use or avoidance. Um, we have an archaeology camp. I always said that, that we plow and provide firewood for elders and vets. We are launching a harvest program. Last summer, we were able to harvest clams and halibut, which I got some of. Um, this year, we're looking at growing and developing that program. Our forestry fire abatement this summer will be three years old, and we are broadening ties with the federal government on that, as well as the state and borough. So there are some pretty exciting things happening there. Uh, last 4th of July, after the parade, we had a, we just impromptu <laughs> set up a, a group of cars and barbecues in, in the parking lot there and said, stop by for a free hot dog. So we, we um, looked at the people in the crowd and addressed families and said, hey, stop by and get a hot dog and the fixins. So we served a little bit more than a thousand hot dogs on the 4th of July to just folks walking, walking away from the parade. So it, it's not huge, grandiose things always, but sometimes it's a multitude of smaller acts. I see. And, and uh, Bernadine, same question to you. You know, uh, Tell me about your tribal organization's impact here on the, in the community. Well, um, we, we engage with a lot of, our, lot of the local businesses. 
Um, for example, when we built the um, education campus there, we had um, Blazy Construction was the one who was our main person in, in building it. Um, we love having events, so <laughs> so we work a lot with the um, food trucks and other businesses and other vendors um, who cater who cater food and stuff. Because I mean, we're cater having <laughs> at least once a month or more. So we like our food. <laughs> um, we do, we, uh, like with our, you know, getting logos and stuff, we go through local vendors um, to help make, you know, coats and jackets and sweatshirts. I know every year, like for the, the when we do our um, opening of the net, we always have sweatshirts or we've got blankets or something that we're, you know, handing out to tribal members because that's we're in a partnership with Salamantov, so we do that as a as a partnership there. Um, we do uh, we work like I said with the well we have almost 400 employees. So when you think about that, to me I, I feel like when you have that many people working for you, they're either buying houses, they're buying cars, they're buying food, they're buying gasoline. So I feel like just the fact that we employ um, that many people that we're adding a lot to our community um, financially. Um, and so I guess that's, that's most of it. We also have a lot of services that we provide. If you think about that, I mean, we have our elders program um, and we do, you know, we provide meals, we deliver meals. Um, we also have our clinic, which we, in the last three years, we provided services to about 8,000 individuals. So, you know, we do, we have that there. And then, of course, the transit system that's coming up. We have our cultural programs. We work with NYO. Um, we also uh, work with the school system. We have um, ISPs, which are um, individuals who go into the school system and they help students um, who are struggling. It could be things going on at home, it could be personal things, or just even with, um, with schoolwork and stuff. So um, we do have a lot, um, I think it's like 20 some ISPs, so that's, that we pay for that are working in the school system, you know, and working along with the school district. So there's others too. <laughs> we have our, our Head Start program, which is for low income, which it could be, you know, Alaska Native, their Kanaitsi, Salamantov, um, American Indian, or anybody that falls within that, that budget, that they're able to be part of the, the Head Start program, which is, um, if you look at any of the studies, that is a, makes a significant difference on the path that that child takes as far as doing well in school and how they progress. And you probably know, can share a lot more about that. And um, so I'll throw this question to, to you first, uh, Charmaine. Uh, you know, what do you hope that community members who maybe aren't a part of your tribe sort of uh, remember or take away from, from your tribe? That is a really a challenging question, I have to say. That we, uh, we do wish to play a greater role 
in the community. We serve wherever we can, where we see a need and we can fulfill that need, we'll be there, uh, large or small. In terms of businesses and, and larger impacts, we have uh, several businesses here in the community. We just in the last year and a half took over the Canary Lodge across the, the river, which is kind of nice because that's that's been a part of our lives, gosh, since I can barely remember. It used to take about an hour and a half to drive from where I live around Kay Beach, up the straightaway, into the cannery. So you, you either had to really like the person driving and want to spend time with my grandpa, or you just said, yeah, no, I'll stay home. Uh, just... Being here and helping out, that's all I got. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> cool. And, and uh, Bernadine, same question, you know, what do you hope that, I guess, people that aren't maybe necessarily a part of um, your tribe, what do you hope that they rem uh, remember or take away from your organization? Well, um, just that they might learn a little bit more about who the Dena'ina people are um, and just knowing our history and maybe some of our 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 goals of where we want to how we want to move forward um but also that we're a that we're a good community partner and we do want to partner to help benefit you know our community we we want to make sure that we're doing everything we need to help provide the services for our tribal members whether it's housing um food security job training education um, and that uh, we just kind of want to make sure that Katnatana Dena'ina thrive forever. And so just getting, what do we, you know, how do we make that happen, but also be a good community partner. And, you know, within your tribe, who would you say that you, I guess, look up to the most? I don't know. There's, uh, I would say I have, you know, different elders who I've really looked up to. I know my grandma, she set a good example for me, and I would say, you know, she's probably number one on my list. Um, we have a, another elder, uh, Mary Ann Mills. She's uh, another person who I really look up to. Uh, she believes in just protecting our sovereignty, and, and she has a lot of historical knowledge. She knows laws, not only um, state and federal, but international laws that are there that are in place to help protect us. Um, she was part of the Angska, so she understands what Angska is all about. So, and then, and she follows follows our traditional values, you know. And she's a strong proponent that, you know, these are real important, and these are our guidelines to help guide guide us to be um, good human beings. And Charmaine, same question to you. Um, you know, who do you, I guess, look up to most um, within your tribe? Within Salamana, I would think it, it would be my late older sister, Penny Carty, who um, was a trailblazer for myself and, and our younger sister. As a Kanaitsi member, um, I truly look up to and appreciate the personal experiences shared with me and the wisdom of a lady named Claire Swan who was very instrumental in the educational fisheries start 
she had a vision and was told it couldn't be done, but she went to different entities and kept working at it, working at it, working at it. And there is now, gosh, Bernadine, how old is the fisheries, the educational fisheries? Uh, it's got to be. 1988 or 1989. Yeah. I, I, I have an immense amount of respect and treasure the time spent with her and the wisdom that she will share with me. And, you know, of those individuals that you mentioned, do you have any um, stories that you'd like to share about them? I, I can't think of any right now. I see. Um, and, and same question to you, you know, do you have any um, stories that you'd like to share about some people within your organization that you maybe look up to? Um, I think I already shared about my grandma, Rika Murphy. Um, there's, you know, these are controversial issues. <laughs> But I'll just say it. I'll put it out there. So in, in 1989, I know um, we had won the lawsuit that we could get the fish, um, be able to fish our nets and stuff. And then, um, and I'm not going to say names, but the person who uh, kind of went against that and kind of put it on hold. And so Mary Ann, and actually... Me too. <laughs> we uh, uh, started this group called the Subsistence Women of the Kenai Peninsula. And we went out and went ahead and fished because we have the right. As tribal people, we have the right to fish. So um, Marianne had all the laws backing it. But we had uh, went to jail a couple times because the <laughs> they came down and arrested us. and. Um, but I know my youngest daughter, she was born in 1989. That's why I remember the year, because she was like this big, and we're down there fishing the net, and the troopers came down and hauled us to Wildwood. And <laughs> so, so then, uh, then they realized there's a baby. We can't have a baby in the prison. <laughs> but, but the state, they you know, filed the charges, but then they end up dropping the charges because, because of all the laws that Marianne had presented and so, so we know, we know what laws are out there that protect us, and it's just um, and our our fishing rights. So I guess um, I guess that would be one of the stories is that she's she's a very brave and courageous woman, and um, she inspires other other indigenous people to be strong and courageous too, and and not be um, and not be afraid. You know, these are your rights. You need to, you know, stand up, and and not that she tells you to stand up. She just inspires you to stand up because then you can see that this is the right thing to do, and this is what, you know, we need to be doing. So, um, I don't know if she'll be listening to this or not. <laughs> Anyways, I see. And you know, speaking of stories, are there any stories that you'd like to share about maybe your connection to your tribe that you'd like to share? Well, I do have, um, I have one, and it, it goes back to history. My grandma, um, great-grandma, she lived over in Custitan, and when she was a little baby, this was in the late 1800s, um, that's when the flu epidemic was going around, and one of the uh, villagers had sent a message out saying that everybody was sick, but there was two children who weren't sick, and so they they said, we need somebody to come get these kids. And so 
they put the two babies on the outside of the village and a lady from Tionic um, and her rowboat went over to Custatan and, and got the babies and when she got there everybody else had, had died. So she burnt the village burnt the village down and then uh, at that time they believed that if you used some of the ash and rubbed it on the babies that would help protect them so that they wouldn't bring any of the sicknesses back back um, to the other villages and tribes. But So she brought um, the two babies back to Kenai and then um, my great-grandma was adopted um, through a Saldovia family who took her in. But um, I just think that we have a lot of a lot of strong Dena'ina women and folks out there, and men. We have a lot of strong Dena'ina men out there, and that um, we've got a lot of history to share. And uh, I'm just really proud of all of our ancestors who really stood up and made sure that um, the tribe got recognized, um, got their constitution, because um, now you know we're you know a part of the community and. And we did this all on our own with, with very little help because I know when they did ANGSCA, they put everything under a corporation, but the tribes, and the tribes didn't get no land. And so we are, had to buy back all of our, our land that was ours in the first place. <laughs> so it's kind of funny, I guess, but, but we're doing it. We're doing it in a really good way. And you know we have a good land base there in Old Kenai that's where one of our last village was is in Old Kenai so just um, I'm just really proud of all of our council members um, they made some really good decisions in the past you know doing the DWC um, and just getting us to where we are today so it, it took a lot of a lot of voices and and people to be able to stand up and say we can do this and we did it and we just kept moving forward and so I'm just really proud of everybody who's who brought us to where we are today. Charmaine, same question for you. You know, are there any stories that you'd like to share about um, your connection to your tribe? No, I'd just like to share that as indigenous people, and I hope you agree, we don't have to be boisterous or bumptitious. Just know our values, know our personal value, be true to ourselves, and keep doing that which needs done. I see. And last question for you two, um, and I'll, I'll throw it to you first, Charmaine. Um, what does being a member of your tribe mean to you? Consistency, continuity of life, knowing that we've come this far, and um, when I'm gone, the good of the tribes will continue on. And they, they will nurture our children and grandchildren. Great. And Bernadine, same question to you. What does being a member of your tribe mean to you? Well, it means being a, a good human being. That's what Dena'ina means, is, you know, being a human being. And so I feel like um, just following our, our values, you know, being truthful and respectful and you know, working in cooperation with those in our lives to help better met all, you know, all the people, so.
And that's all for this episode of the Kenai Conversation. A special thank you to Bernadine Atchison and Charmaine Lundy for joining us. You can hear the Kenai Conversation every week on Wednesday at 10 a.m. and Saturday at 5 p.m. here on KDLL. Or you can find it on our website, kdll.org. I'm Hunter Morrison. Thanks for tuning in.